Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Here is the host of The Mental Cast, Dan Mickle. Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle with The Mental Cast, and I have a very special guest on today's podcast, Trevor Reagan of The Learner's Lab. How are you hanging in there, Trev? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So, why don't you give a little bit background about what you do and pump all your social media and everything, and then we'll just kind of dive into the, the content. All right. Uh, the mission I'm on is to figure out how people can become better learners. I think learning is one of the most powerful skills. So like if you become a better learner, that's useful no matter who you are, or what you do. And so my job is to dig into the science of like, okay, what are the tools that could help that? And so my time is spent between learning myself and then sharing content through our podcast, articles, videos, and then spending time uh, doing workshops and training groups to apply this science within their organization. So coolest job of all time. I love everything about it. I learn about learning, which is pretty, pretty awesome. All right. So my goal today is I wanted to kind of peek behind the curtain and, um, talk about your journey, you, you specifically. And so if I went back to the 10 year old Trevor and said, what do you think that you're going to be in, in 2019, 2020, what do you think the answer would have been? You could have asked the 10 year old Trevor, the 20 year old Trevor, the 23 year old Trevor, and it would have been something basketball related. Probably 10 year old was like, I'm definitely going to be playing in the NBA. <laughs> and then once you realize, oh, I'm not going to be taller than five, nine, uh, then it was like, okay, coaching basketball uh, at the high school or college level. That would have probably been the goal. Uh, I wanted to be a teacher, not because I was passionate about education. I wanted to be a teacher so I could coach. And, and that was the dream. That was the goal all the way up to like my last year of college. So let's talk about high school and, and you're deciding what to do, where to go. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously I, I've heard the story cause I've seen you talk and, and you know, I've followed right. you for a while. So kind of fill us in on, on how sure. it, that went. The dream since third grade was to play basketball at Duke. And uh, that seems like a lofty goal, but I had a pretty good perspective on it. I knew I wasn't going to like be a star at Duke. Uh, I had really some, for some reason or the other responded to the movie Rudy. Like it was my favorite movie of all time. And it was like, I want to be the Rudy, but for Duke basketball. <laughs> and so Early on, I made that my goal and practiced a lot. My dad was a basketball coach. I like grew up in the gym and I got pretty good, especially being from Wyoming. Um, good for a 5'9 kid from Wyoming. And get into Duke, go out there for my first year. They have open tryouts for two walk-on spots. Like 100 people tried out for the two spots. Um, and I made the final four. So the four of us were actually on the team for preseason like a month and a half practicing with the team, working out with the team. Coach K was there, Coach Wojo, Johnny Dawkins. Like it was 
unbelievably cool. I cried every day walking to Cameron for practice. Um, at the end of preseason, they cut two keep two, and I was the last person cut. And so that was kind of like a disaster for me at the time. And oftentimes when I tell this story to people, and we don't talk about it too much, but when we do share it, they expect it to turn into, and then I went Michael Jordan on them and spent the next year practicing and made the team the next year. It's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I went the other direction. Like that put me into a huge tailspin. I was miserable and felt like a big failure. Like my identity was gone. Um, I got to be a manager and practice player for two years, which on paper sounds great. Like I got to go to the game, sit in on the meetings and practice every once in a while. But for the entire two years, I was just so angry that I don't even think I got the most out of those, like that great opportunity as I could have. Now I tell people like looking back, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Like if I make that team, the Learner Lab doesn't exist. Train Ugly doesn't exist. Like, I'm not doing this job, and I love this job if, if I make the team. And I think it was kind of the, a good origin story. Or it planted the, the seed of curiosity about, like, man, what could I have done better? And then it is that curiosity that, like, fueled this. So I guess my choice growing up was I could have played at some smaller schools and been kind of the big dog, or I could have tried to make it um, and sit on the Duke bench and I wanted, wanted the Duke bench. And I don't know why that was, but that was kind of, that was the goal. Do what was that your plan? Like, did you have a backup plan? Like, was it always Duke? Like there was no other applications to other schools or, or maybe there were just to make, you know, parents happy. Like, okay, yeah, there, my backup yeah, plan. But there, there were other applications. Duke was the, the big one. Um, and then the others were smaller schools that I definitely could have played a lot at. Um, so it, it kind of just worked out like once I got in, it was a no brainer for me. So let's walk through that, that preseason. Um, <laughs> you're walking in, there's like a hundred kids trying out for these two spots. Yeah. What's your mindset in that? Is it, I'm going to crush these and I'm going to be 90, 99, you know, I'm going to crush sure. 98 other people. So it's like, Oh, I'm in trouble, man. It, it was kind of a weird roller coaster, and no one's really asked me about this before and I haven't really shared it. So it actually started out. I got to campus and I went right to the, to the basketball office. And I was like, I want to walk on, what do I have to do? And um, they're like, well, the, the guys play pickup um, at this time and you should, you can come. And so I go and it's like all the guys I've been watching on TV, like Greg Paulus is there. And I actually got in a few games and I started going every day and playing pickup. And I was kind of fitting in and like, obviously every, most people were really, really good and better than me, but there was a few games I made like the game winning three pointer. And like, I was like, wait, am I on the team? Like I didn't, <laughs> like they didn't mention like the timeline of this. So I went and played pickup for a couple of weeks and was like, holding my own and I was like oh that was easy like I didn't even have to try out I'm on the team then they're like okay we're holding a tryout and then even then I thought maybe like five people would go and then that's when the hundred showed up and I was like whoa now I think my advantage was I had been playing pickups so like they knew me because like how are you going to stand out in a two-hour tryout with a hundred people in the gym um, and so my, my mindset going in the whole time I'm just freaking out it's just like, whoa, I thought I had this under control. Now there's 100 people. Uh, 
the most stressful time was like there was a three-day gap between the tryout and when they let us knew who made the final four where it was just they kind of were ghosting us and my whole dorm was like behind me they knew what I was trying to do and they kept coming up like did you hear did you hear it was like a lot of stress and once I heard I made the final four that to me was like one of the coolest moments ever um just to kind of like get to be involved in the real practices with coach K around and the whole thing. Um, I was so excited. I don't like, I I'm thinking about how I would approach it differently now, knowing the stuff that I know. And I, I think I could have done much better if I had the right mindset and mentality. Um, I think a lot of it was, I was really afraid to not make it because the stakes were so high. And I think, the story I made up in my head was like, especially my small town back home and just the state of Wyoming, like they were doing like news stories about me. Like I felt like I was like repping my whole state and I had to make this team and I, I wanted it for myself. But then there was all these external things adding pressure. Um, like when I didn't make it, I didn't even call my parents because I felt like I would let them down, which is like 180 degrees degrees from the truth. Like, of course, right. they're super proud of me. But just I'm building up all this pressure of like, I have to make this or people won't care about me anymore, which was kind of ridiculous. So was there like, so it was just a single two hour tryout? It wasn't like a couple of days? It was just for, for that like of the actual yeah. tryout? Yeah, yeah. For that, it was just a, it was like two hours. They we, It was essentially pick up and they just brand people through I looking back and I don't know this for sure I think it was they knew about a few of us they knew about me and there was one other guy playing pickup and then they knew about a couple other athletes who had actually gone to Duke for track but they knew that like hey we could get them on the basketball team if we wanted and I think the tryout was kind of like hey it's kind of like building support and some energy but they probably knew like the four or five guys that they were gonna like invite to continue on so I don't know. So what was the actual process of finding out? Was it phone call taped on the board? Like it, you know, it was, the, it was the a brutal eighties, nineties. Yeah. That we see in movies. <laughs> the, the tape on the board reading for your name. I don't know if I could have handled it. I think it was just like a, a voicemail or text actually, or a phone call. Um, so it, that was really cool. Um, I don't know, like just to, to, to get that invite, like looking back that, that feels really good. Like that was, and then on the opposite, when you get let down, like when you find out you didn't make it, that right. it, even if I think about that now, that gets me a little bit. Like that was, you're you're sitting in the coach's office, and Johnny Dawkins says, like, I love the way you play. Um, you're just not the right fit. I'm sorry. And I was so shook because I thought I made it. I thought I was better than the other guys. I thought the the pickup background had like earned me some stripes. And I thought I was a better basketball player than the other guys. Um, and it was kind of a shock when I didn't make it. And I was so froze. Like, I didn't have a chance to, like, ask for feedback or be like, well, why not? I was just kind of like, and at the time, I didn't know how to express emotions or uh, regulate emotions. I just, like, didn't want to cry. That was, like, my only focus. Um, and so I didn't even get to really, like, ask any questions. It was just kind of like, whoa. So then do you then reach back out to them or do they suggest to you about the practice player and the manager or how's that step then happen? And that was ended up being 
a really awesome thing that they did is like to become a manager at Duke, that is a huge process on its own. They hire like three or four a year, but that's hundreds of people apply to that. They kind of just gave me the chance that they're like, you don't need to apply to be a manager. We want you around. We want you involved. Like you deserve to, to be here. And I just jumped on that. Um, because it, so, it, 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 I wanted to be involved in basketball and that was the next best thing. Right. So in, in your, in that exact moment is your mindset. I'm going to be a manager because I can do the Michael Jordan thing and yeah. maybe I will get better. Or was it like, okay, I have a chance to learn from one of the best. And I know that down the road, I want to be a coach. Yeah. It, I, it, which triggered it? I wish it was the second one, but it was definitely the first. It's like, I will do whatever I have to do, but I don't want to be a manager. I, I don't want to make the Gatorade. I don't want to wipe up the sweat. I don't want to sit behind the bench. I want to sit on the bench. Now, so the, the, the idea was to go Michael Jordan and like be around and prove myself, but then they didn't even have tryouts anymore. So I didn't even, once, once I lost that, then I kind of went off the rails. I was like, screw this. I probably wasn't a very good manager um, because I, again, now, I think if I was in a similar situation, I could have seen the bigger picture of like, okay, I want to be a coach. I get a behind the scenes look at the, one of the greatest coaches to ever live. Let's be a sponge and soak this up. And I think I was so like caught up in my anger and all the other emotions um, that I didn't really take advantage of the opportunities the way that I could have. Um, right. And and especially once they said there was no more tryouts, I, it was just kind of like, well, what's the point? And I like stayed on for another year. And then I finally just stopped and decided to just be a normal student and make friends and study abroad, and, which was a good decision as well to get that experience in college. So I don't know, it was kind of a roller coaster, but it, I can identify times where I'm like, wow, if I could run that back, I probably could have grown more than I did. All right. So you're done with college now what like like what's your what's your thought go, go home okay. get a high school coaching job that so at the start of my senior year that was the plan it was just like i'm just gonna go get a coaching job then my best friends and i decided to start a company together or start a business we like won a business plan competition at duke and won some money and so we all decided like when we graduated, we're going to move to Colorado. We're going to do this. It's not sports related or anything. It's just this crazy idea, but we're going to do it. We tried for like two years and it kind of worked, kind of didn't, but we made some money. And I really learned a lot of like the, uh, how to build something skill set, uh, how to tell a story skill set, things that I hadn't ever thought of about before. Um, and then after that, I got kind of a normal nine to five job, but it was in Australia, which was interesting. And that allowed me to like save up some money. And, but the whole time I was itching to get back into sports. I was, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, after two years in Australia, had some money saved up and moved back to my mom's basement. And I was just like, I'm going to start the best basketball camp that's ever been made. And I, I originally was like, I'm just going to model my basketball camp after how they would train a Duke player. Like I got to run their camps. I got to watch their off season training, in season training. And I think with that insight, I could make a pr pretty killer basketball camp. So I moved back and start that every summer, just running these basketball camps, like 10 a summer, uh, 
But while I'm doing that in the off season, I like had nothing to do. It was like eight months a year of nothing. And I decided to start just a little blog and the blog was like, all right, I'm just going to interview interesting people and read interesting books and share what I'm learning. And maybe this stuff will help market my basketball camp and then be a good way to share some stuff that I'm learning with people. And then that's when I stumbled into John Kessel. Uh, my mom had him in to do a volleyball camp. She was the head volleyball coach at the time. And I'm sitting there watching this guy and I'm like, whoa, this is way different than any practice I'd ever seen. And the stuff he's talking about, the stuff he's sharing, it was just like, this is unbelievable. And so I kind of just latched onto him and tried to like learn what I could from him and interview him and, and get his feedback on how a lot of the concepts he was teaching in volleyball would translate to basketball. Um, so I kind of, I, I got into the sports world, but it was on my own path. I wasn't like a head coach. Um, but it was like a cool mix of, I got to dig in with the team for like a week and then go to the next school. And I would do, like I said, 10 a summer. I would teach a lot of this mental stuff that we're, we're starting to learn and share. And it was the, the ultimate, looking back, the best Petri dish ever to experiment with different ideas and get just a disgusting amount of reps, sharing science with people that maybe aren't that interested in it, but kept capturing their attention and connecting it with them. So that was very, very important practice. Right. And, and during that time, I mean, you're running at, at one point, you're running both basketball and volleyball camps, right? Like, yeah. Like, and you're probably able to make a good living doing it or, or yeah. at least have it set up to continue. Yeah. But, but you start to feel that like itch or twitch of there's something missing in this world. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and right. that's when you start, you know, you reach out to Seth and right, like, right, right. To, to me that, that moment is amazing to me because I sort of had the same moment. I'm a, I'm a huge Michael Gervais fan and I'm yeah. a Seahawks fan mm. and I kind of did the same thing. I literally just one day picked up the phone and called his office, you know, and it's just like, mm -hmm. I need to talk to you. Yeah. And I had like a 30 minute conversation with someone that I was idolizing and it changed my whole like yeah. perspective on everything. Right. And I mean, we, we also have that, that Kessel. I, I get that. Anyone that I feel bad for anyone in any sport that doesn't know Kessel. Yeah. Cause I think too. it's like such a mad scientist watching him work and his thought process. Yeah. Um, so at what point, like, is there a definitive moment when you're laying there in bed at night and you're like, you know, I think I can pivot yeah. from the blog and that stuff, supplementing the camps to getting rid of the camps and going with yeah. just the, the, the train ugly and, and sure. starting that process. Yeah, There was like, it was kind of a three pivot points. So the original blog was called championship basketballschool.com garbage domain. <laughs> I hate the name. It makes me cringe, but uh, I started like making these posts and after post number three, I was like, wait, why am I only talking about basketball? Like everything that I'm learning works in any other sport. But I like held on to the domain, did that for like a year and a half. The, the big pivot was going from that to train ugly. Train ugly is I'm not putting a sport in the domain. We're not talking about sport specific stuff. But what we are saying is any sport should recalibrate the way they think about practice. And we believe it should involve more struggle, more challenge. It shouldn't be reckless. That's not what we're saying, but it's going to be uglier than you think it should be. And all of the science that I had 
dug up at that point was pointing to that, saying that. And so we felt like train ugly is a great call to action of this mission we're on now, which is how can all sports build better practice? What does that look like? Um, as you get into that research and, and you know, this it's, you could build the best science backed drill of all time or practice. But if your players aren't mentally equipped to deal with the challenge and struggle that's baked into that practice, they're not going to get the most out of it. And so what I started to realize is as I'm pushing this content of better practice design, better drill design, um, I realized like, wow, the mental component is just as important. Like we have to have that in order to get the most out of an ugly type of practice. And so I start dabbling in that. And then what you realize when you get into that stuff is similar to the aha moment about this isn't just basketball. I was like, this isn't just sports. Like now this mental stuff, it's like back, like my mom is a teacher. So is my dad and I'm sharing it with them. They're like, Oh, my, this would help my students. Um, so then you realize like, Whoa, what we're really focused on here is learning and everyone's a learner. Like every, everyone in any industry, it's becoming a better learner is useful. And so when we made the pivot to the learner lab, the logic was this becoming a better learner is our mission Training ugly is a pillar of becoming a better learner, but it's not the whole equation. There's a lot of other things you could do. So train ugly is, I will go to bat on what that website pushes and the things we talked about, but looking at the bigger picture of learning is what I'm curious about now. And then showing how better practice and higher quality practice is a pillar of that is important, but we can also kind of weave in these other big principles. And that was an important turning point for me. Um, so we went from just working with basketball teams to doing basketball, volleyball, baseball, football to now it's like in the last year I worked with the United Nations. I work with like Target. I've worked with uh, incredible organizations, but also in like prisons, also with like major league baseball teams. And so just to get all of those experiences sharing with groups and you realize it's like wow, the, the talk that I gave to the United Nations is the same one I gave to a group of, th of third graders. It's like, right. that's cool because you're getting to some core principles of development. And like, I'm kind of riding that wave right now and it's, it's, it's so fun. But yeah, those pivot points were, were important. But, but they're tough, right? I mean, uh, the, the thing that I'm working on now and pivoting towards is I worked so hard. I, I wanted to get soul and what I was doing, the same concepts encompass everything. But everyone just kept telling me, you're missing the human part. And it's like, you need to market you. You're the one speaking. You're the one talking. It's not like you're selling a kit. Yeah. So now it's, you know, trying to pivot on my name and do it that way. But mm -hmm. those pivots aren't as easy as people think. And especially when mm -hmm. you have something that's the momentum, like you pivot in the middle of momentum. Yeah. Most companies pivot when it's too late and they're trying to save something. But mm -hmm. I mean, training obviously was strong, going mm -hmm. hard. And, and then you're like, ah, but I'm still not there. Right yeah. turn. And now it's learner lab. Like, mm -hmm. how was that struggle? Was, was there a part like, were you worried that if I make this pivot and it doesn't work, I could have just killed everything I've been working on for the last couple of years? Yeah, that or, one. Or were you confident in it? No, I wasn't. The first pivot, uh, train ugly from Jan <clears throat> 
championship basketball school to train ugly that one confident i was like right yes that's the move this one is still scary it's still going like the learner lab website has been up for eight months uh train ugly probably doubles the organic traffic every day still, still. still. Wow. and so it's like ooh. um and i think a lot of people still think like train ugly is my website i'm still when i go work with groups they introduce me as the train ugly guy and so i think it's a slow process but i think the the logic behind it is sound uh, i have some really smart friends in, from like San Francisco in the tech world. And they've helped me kind of understand like the branding element and, and how to do something like this. So they've helped me along. My logic is this. It's like if I was searching for uh, articles or there was two articles side by side about uh, blah, 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 how to become a better learner. And one was by Train Ugly and one was by the Learner Lab. I would click the Learner Lab. I just would. Um, I think it's a, a better name that describes what it is that we do. Um, and I think it's like a better call to action of what we stand for and what we care about. Now, if it was the right business move, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I think I like the name train ugly because it's disruptive and, and interesting. The learner lab's a little more dry, but I think it's, it's more accurate for what we do. Like I was just on a, a, a different volleyball podcast and apparently, like, the train ugly concept is kind of uh, like a point of conflict in the volleyball world. I didn't know this. I'm not, like, locked into the volleyball world. But it, it was causing, like, people's to – I guess it was causing some tension. I don't really understand. But I see why. It's like the name train ugly seems like it's, like, bold. It's reckless. It's, uh, it, it's chaotic. And, like, yes – controlled chaos is a piece of that but not we're not just saying like go just like flop around and struggle just for the sake of struggle i think if people go to our website and read our stuff they see what it actually means but the name itself i could see how it could cause some uh confusion in a way um and so once again that's like another nod towards maybe learner lab is a better name for what it is we do yeah i, I think we run into that when i'm working with USA education and you know we talk about game like and all that mm -hmm. as soon as you say game like everyone tunes out and thinks six months all you're doing is playing like no no like there it's a concept and it's yeah so and, I, I can get that yeah and it's it's to me it's like there's certain words that could just turn people off and then they don't listen to what's next and so sometimes when I teach this stuff now I don't say what the name of this concept is I'll just teach it and then at the end you're like Yep. So that means practice should be game. Like people are like, Oh, okay. And so you kind of have to like wiggle your way in. But like the logic is like, if I want to become a better public speaker, I can't spend my whole time practicing in front of a mirror. And you could, you could ask any human on earth, well, what would be better for my practice? And they'd say, you should probably speak in front of uh, people. Yep. That's game like <laughs> practice. Like, yeah, exactly, there you go. Right? You figured it out. Like, <laughs> It's, it's funny you mention that because anytime someone brings you up and we're talking about it, the, the one moment for me that sticks out was, you know, two years ago at the AVCA convention, you, you were on right before me. And I remember sitting in the audience and you were killing it, you know, and, and I've seen, I've seen your videos and I saw what you're doing, but this is the first time sitting live and it was the same content, but your, your delivery and everything just killed it. And I'm like, yeah. man, this is awesome. I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh God, I got to follow this. Right. It's yeah. like 
following Queen after Live Aid '85. <laughs> you know, like, and I just remember afterwards when we were talking at dinner, and you said how nervous you were. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you do this like five times a week, yeah. <laughs> twelve months out of the year. Like, how how is it? Like, how do you combat that? Like, like mm-hmm. first off, I think it's awesome because I think nerves mean that you still care. Yep. And you're not satisfied with what you have. That there's always room to improve. Yep. But like, how do you combat that and Mm-hmm. But like for me, after I get that, that first moment in, I'm like, okay, I'm on track and I'm golden. Yep. Um, but yeah, I still get nervous before getting up in front and you know, I've, for sure. every year now. So, so yep. how do you deal with that? Uh, okay. So I think there are a lot of things that can create nerves, but two big ones are caring and uncertainty. And if you think about probably any talk you or I give or any training or workshop we do, we're going to care about it. And there is a level of uncertainty. It's like, I don't know how this is going to go. And so just knowing that and accepting that can help us kind of deal with and regulate these emotions a little bit better. I am fully on board with the fact that no matter how you approach these pressure situations, you very rarely are going to change how you feel, (laughs) but you can change how you think about those feelings. And this is a topic I'm kind of digging into, but Uh, I think the best explanation I found, Susan David, is like there's type one emotions, but then there's type two, which is having feelings about our feelings. And that's what I used to do when I was younger. It's like, I'm nervous and I'm shaming myself because I'm nervous because I think like, oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not prepared. And so it's a shame snowball caused by being nervous or I'm anxious for being anxious. Uh, So it's those type two emotions that get us into trouble. But the big aha moment for me was just through the research and through conversations with people way smarter than me, you realize like, wow, feeling nervous doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you care. It means there's uncertainty and everyone gets nervous. And so I stopped shaming myself for feeling and just learned to accept that. Um, and so now it, I feel the same. I still get nervous, but I'm not sliding down that slope of like feeling emotions about my emotions i can accept the original one and then just turn my attention to the task and then i just like you once it starts i'm fine but almost every time before i talk i'm like maybe my flight will get canceled that'd be dope <laughs> like it doesn't go away <laughs> i'm so glad you say that because it was like okay maybe this won't happen. Maybe they don't have enough registration. Yeah. Oh, this, <laughs> this webinar is not going to happen. I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, damn, I wish I would have done that. Like, you know, you yeah. have that regret afterwards if it doesn't happen. Right, right. It's like, it's like working out in a way. Like I've never finished a workout and been like, I regret that. It's like, I always <laughs> feel good. But then it's really hard to win the battle of starting. And the, right. any, any excuse like, ah, my arm's bit sore better rest today it's like yep I'll, i'm hopping on that to avoid the struggle and i think this is the same it's kind of funny though uh and and i think people who run track can relate to that of like i don't care how many races that you've ran when you're walking to the starting line before a race you're feeling some stuff and right. i don't care how it doesn't matter how many you run like you feel that every time and like i think most performance situations are similar. Interesting. Well, to wrap it up, um, what's the next pivot? What, what's uh, <laughs> what, what, Actually, my first question is going to be, 
what's going to be the next step for the jungle tiger? I, yeah. I mean, that's been, I, I mean, and I get that. That's such a huge part of what you did. And everyone recognizes that like, yep. It is and you don't have to tell me what it is, but is there something in the works? Like, is there going to be a, a new capstone that you're going down, or or what's what's the plan and sure. what's the next pivot? Okay, great question. I, and I'll try to hit the points. So, I think Jungle Tiger is great at describing learning actions and behaviors we want to do more of. To become a better learner, we need to expand out of our comfort zone, struggle, learn from our mistakes. That's being a jungle tiger. The big upgrade we made in the last year was, well, why do we avoid that? Okay, let's unpack some obstacles to becoming a better learner. Then the next phase was, what are the tools to build to overcome those obstacles? Once we have all that, and that's what we would cover in a workshop, I need to make a few videos to describe how all that works together. I think the next phase is how do leaders create a better learning environment for jungle tigering to occur? I think that's a, a team effort of the individual, but also the leader of the group. If we're doing things right, it shouldn't be all on the leader or all on the individual, but working together to become better learners. I think there's a lot of interesting research about creating a better learning environment. And so like that will be the next step. I think the name is going to stay the same, but as far as our content, it might shift a little more towards the environment. And then as far as how we build the content, one small adjustment I'm going to make is I'm starting to realize we should be building videos that our content should be shared as a team effort with the leader. Not, I'm going to answer every question and cover every discussion topic in this video. I'm going to introduce it, but then the coach, the teacher is going to take that video, share it with their people, but they can foster the discussion and connect it to their audience. And so finding ways to build content that's sort of a toolkit for leaders to share, I think that's our best fit in the learning industry. Not here we know all the answers and just hit play, but more of like a, a supplement to a leader to, uh, to teach our stuff to their people. And I think if we can start building that and sharing that, um, that's how we have the biggest impact. What, uh, if you had to pick one thing, where do you see it 10 years from now? Like, where do you see you from 10 years? Like, like, yeah, not, not, I think, not saying just making videos or whatever, but I mean, <laughs> is it, is it, more the content or is it more the live stuff? Is it a product? Like what would you ultimately like to see this all become? I think I hit the, I hit the ceiling for how much I could do in person. In fact, I went past the ceiling. Like I was exhausted at the end of 2018 and 2019. Like I could barely function. I even had some health problems pop up. Um, and so like I have to taper that down a little bit, but I still believe there's so much power in this content and so it's our job to get it into people's hands. And so I do want to focus more on virtual stuff, videos, pods, articles that are designed to share. I never want to give up the in-person in stuff because I think that's my best skill. Like, I think I'm really, really good at that. And we can really make a difference. And so I want to keep doing that. But it's hard to project where it's going to go. I don't foresee a big pivot happening. I think we've kind of found our lane in the learning world of like, hey, guess what? 
someone else you can take care of uh, teaching people to become better shooters. You can talk more about the practice design stuff. Great. We have our opinions on that. And with some teams, I'll still talk about it. But I am going to crush the mental side of becoming a better learner. That's our lane. And that's where I want to play for the next few years, I think. All right. So last two questions. Of all the talks you gave, what one was like, like, I made it. Like, this is the one that solidified, like, I, I'm not worried about imposter syndrome anymore. Like, like I'm legit. There was one that I did. Um, like, I did quite a bit of work with the Cleveland Indians. And then with kind of minor league staff and some players. And then there was one where they're like, hey, will you talk about motor learning to our major league hitting coaches? And it was like, let's see what happens. And it was a short one, but it went really well. And I think I did a good job of connecting it to their world. And it was one of those like uh, the basketball analogy. It's like, I just went like five for five from three in one quarter. And it, it felt really, really good. And that, um, but it also like they deserve the credit for like being open-minded enough to listen to someone like me who I look like I'm 21. And so I'm sitting in this office talking about science that they never heard of. That's more on them than me, but that one felt good. And then it also felt, it was kind of like a, like the, the talk with the United Nations learning managers was like, Whoa, I really don't belong in this room. Like <laughs> like they, <they're, laughs> these guys are literally saving countries. Yeah. And like, like what am I doing? It was, here? Like, it was one of those like, huh? Didn't see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> so that was. Yeah. Did you have the headphones on and like all the translating stuff? Because that that's always. Oh, like, they could all speak English. I was like, unbelievable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that so, one was pretty cool. So the last question I want to ask is: since leaving Duke, have your paths crossed with any of the staff from back then? Like, have you heard, seen, that, talked? That would be my dream. My dream scenario would be to go and share some of this with the basketball program. Now, it's my fault that that hasn't happened yet because I didn't leave on good terms. Like I just, after two years, I was like, I'm going to study abroad. I'm out. And I kind of, I didn't burn the bridges. I just didn't like do enough in those two years to develop really any relationships to where I could now, like they, they probably don't know who I am now. Right. Um, I would, I, I really think a lot of this could make a difference and it would, I, that, it, if there was a way that that could occur, that would be the pinnacle one of like, it all comes full circle. Uh, that would be the home run shot for me. Um, maybe someday it'll happen. I actually went and spoke at Duke hospital. So I was close. I was on the <laughs> campus, <laughs> but, Just uh, stop yeah. by and uh, pop yeah. It in. Yeah. Awesome. it's just it's hard to come out of the it's hard to cold approach someone with this without sound sounding like a used car salesman it's like do you want to become a better learner it's like what <laughs> yeah especially as someone who's already at the pinnacle like, yeah. i can help you win more national championships like really because hey i'm the guy that didn't make your team but i think i can right. help hey you cut me but i think i can make you a better coach <laughs> yeah perfect uh, you can set your coat and your uh, briefcase on top of that olympic gold medal and <laughs> yeah. hang it on the national championships <laughs> awesome well i'm glad we had a chance to have this talk like i said we yeah we, we travel in the same circles and we're putting a lot of content out but mm -hmm. i i knew part of your backstory and i thought that was really sure. important because yeah. i'm sure for you there were a lot of nights of 
should I do this? And then, oh my God, did I make the right decision doing this? Yeah. And I think people need to hear that because yeah, I, I think we fail a lot because we just don't take that first step. Yep. I agree. And these are really good questions. No one had asked me some of these, like literally some of this I had never shared with anyone. So that was kind of awesome. fun to, to awesome. go into. And I guess the one takeaway is I've been nervous at every step. I don't really know what I'm doing, but like the big lesson is we can struggle and stumble our way around it. And as long as we like commit to becoming great learners and taking that action, usually we'll kind of fall into an interesting place. So Awesome. All right. You want to pump your website and all your social media one last time before we sure go to the, go to the learnerlab.com. I think our podcast is on fire right now. If you need another pod, I know that everyone's listening to all the podcasts right now. Uh, I think our videos are really cool as well. And my contact information is on the learnerlab.com and that's, that's the place to find our stuff. Awesome. Trevor. Well, thank you so much uh, for this talk and I'm sure we'll cross paths and continue on. You're the man. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Thank you for listening to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at RealDanMickle or via the show's website at danmickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717soul and on their website, 717soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode. Thank you.